Hello everyone, this week's episode is another Department for Education update. If you were wondering where the update was for April, well it was the green and white papers, which I kind of covered the green paper more than the white one in episode 11. If you've read the blog post this week, you might be a little surprised to find a DFE update episode in place of the promised how to save money companion piece to this week's post. Don't worry, you haven't missed it, that episode will be airing next week. I'm also going to be working on a new YouTube video which should be available to watch this time next week in which I'll be reviewing some cheap education toys and tools and exploring different ways of using them both in and out of the classroom, so look out for that. But that's all in the future. Let's get back to the present and have a look at what the government in England has been up to. It's been a busy month. We have everything from exam alterations to menstrual cups to cover. So without further ado, let's get cracking. With information into the world of education and tips on how to survive teaching, I'm Mr M. These are my musings. We'll begin with some exams 2020 information. This year, students will be sitting their exams, but as they have faced disruption to their education over the last two years, some measures have been put in place to make sure they aren't disadvantaged. This is really interesting. If you're taking GCSE English Literature, History, Geography, and Ancient History, you're going to be assessed on less content this year. For GCSE Maths, Physics, and Combined Science, you'll be given a sheet in the exams showing various formulae or equations so you don't have to memorise as much going into them. This is great. The DfE have also provided a link to some revision guides, which aren't bad, but you do have to sign up for the full experience. But it, it's free. Um, there are also online quizzes, and these are pretty good. I did a GCSE Maths one on angles, and not only does it give you the answers immediately, it explains why the answers are the answers, which I think is really helpful. I've also looked at the English one, and this was good, but it focused mainly on terminology, not really any practice questions. But it's great for a catch-up. In fact, I would recommend teachers taking some of these quizzes just to brush up on some skills, even primary teachers, especially the English one. And they they do have a Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2 area within the quiz um, section. So particularly if you've got Year 6 children at the moment gearing up for their SATs, it might be worth giving them this as some optional homework, or maybe even their actual homework, just to give them a little bit of informal revision. I think that would be great. It's helpful for parents as well. The links, as always, in the show notes. And other things for exams 2022, the Oak National Academy gets a mention because of course it does. And I hate to admit it, but their resources are pretty good. And they get an extra gold star because they include Key Stage 2 revision. Now, as a primary teacher, I like it when the SATs get remembered among the GCSEs and A-levels because they're often forgotten and they are the first major exam that children take in this country. So again, links to Oak National Academy and everything else in the show notes. They're really, really worth checking out, I think. Now, there's also a link to some mental health information, but it does seem a little lip servicey because it's just a link to a blog post from the Department for Education that features a catalogue of other links. And honestly, if I were feeling mentally out of sorts, I wouldn't want to face about three pages of links and doom scrolling until I find the one appropriate to me. I mean, at least it's there. It is something. But like I said, it does feel a bit. And also this. So yeah. And Ofqual, the Office for Qualifications. The What does Ofqual stand for? Let me find out what Ofqual stands for. Hang on a minute. Qual, do, 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 do. Ofqual. You'll hear me tapping. I should know this. The Office of Qualifications and Examinations Regulation. My goodness. We'll stick with Ofqual. Anyway, they've released an updated guide for schools and colleges. It's not actually that updated. I think back in 
February we covered this. It's the same. It hasn't changed. And it says exactly the same things as the DFE's own website does. But it's there. And the link to it is in the show notes. It's got a nice uh, jigsaw puzzle style infographic. I don't know. You check it out and see what you think. Now, exciting news. The Joint Council for Qualifications is recruiting. They need examiners. And you can join the examining team in several subjects for this summer's exam season, which is in a couple of months' time. In fact, one month? A few weeks? matter of weeks. They're they're pushing it. Uh, uh, Now, why is it a good idea to become an examiner? Well, examining a subject gives you a chance to network with other subject experts, gives you a chance to gain insight into the latest approaches to how your subject is assessed, and you earn a bit of extra income for approximately three weeks of work. I went along to this website, and uh, you have to... There's a drop-down menu, and you get to choose which exam body you want to work for. I looked at AQAs, not because I have any particular affiliation with AQA, just because they were the first. And here's what you, here's the criteria to be an AQA examiner. You have to have at least three full terms of teaching experience in the last three years. So three terms in three years. You have to have been teaching at the level you wish to examine. So if you want to examine GCSE children, you have to have been teaching GCSEs. If you want to examine A-level children, you have to have been teaching A-levels. As a senior professional referee, um, oh no, sorry, you, you need a senior professional referee to verify your experience. You can't just say, yes, I've done it. You need someone to back that up. You need a Windows PC. They don't support Mac. And I guess they don't support Chromebooks either, which is interesting. When I talk about my, well, I'll talk about me in a minute. So yeah, you need a private mobile or a landline to gain access to the associate extranet, which sounds exciting. Uh, And you need a degree, a teaching qualification, or something equivalent in your chosen subject. So if you want to examine maths, you either have to be a maths teacher or you need a maths degree, that sort of thing. They're also accepting applications to economics, geography, religious studies, and sociology from retired teachers, trainee teachers, NQTs, tutors, lecturers, and PhD students, but only in those subjects, economics, geography, religious studies, and sociology. Now, interestingly, many schools in my area are also short on invigilators. And they're the people that stand in the exam hall and make sure that people have paper, make sure that children aren't cheating or talking. So I was asked to fill in for a couple of days, but I've had to decline because I tell you, I mean, they, they said earlier on, you get extra pay. You don't get that much. What I was offered was between 60 to 120 pounds for the entire day. And they're long days. It's eight till six which is a long day. So I had to turn that one down. Also because, you know, I want to spend time with my wife and my brand new baby boy. He's almost, he's exactly a month old when this gets released. One month today. Hooray! So I want to spend time with him, not invigilating GCSE exams. Now, primary teachers, you may have noticed that you, you can't do any of this because you don't teach secondary school. But what if you want to get involved in the whole examination Carnival. Well, don't worry, my friends, because you can. If you're feeling a little hard done by, you can apply to be a marker of Key Stage 2 SATs. It's a bit late to apply for this year, but next year you can put your name on the wait list now for next year. You have to have been teaching. You need to be a qualified teacher, and you have to have been teaching relevantly within the last few years. But I have signed up for this. I, I have been offered a place as a specialist Key Stage 2 SATs marker for English comprehension. I am very excited because I have always wanted to do this. My 
history with the Key Stage 2 SATs. That's for overseas listeners. They are the end of primary school exams. They're not multiple choice. And they are an assessment of all of the education from when children entered school at five to when they leave the primary school education system at 11 years old. So I initially, as a classroom teacher, thought they were horrible things designed purely to annoy the children. Uh, and then I did my my master's degree in assessment and my dissertation was actually all about the Key Stage 2 SATs. And it turns out it's not what they're about. They're, I, I'm now on, on Team SATs. I do think they they... They're very relevant. For more on that, check out the blog post. I've got so many, so many posts on that. But yes, so now I want to do some marking of them. And I have been invited to do so. So that's pretty good. I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to share yet. I'll I'll tell you how to apply in another post, maybe, and what's involved. I don't know how much I'm being paid. I doubt it's very much. But I will share all of that with you. So far, I know that I have to attend two full days of online training in a weekend in May. So, you know, they they do want some commitment out of you. But if you want to embark on a side hustle as as an examiner or a marker, there are options out there. And if nothing else, it'll give you insight into the how and the why of exam exam systems. I can't talk today, Uh, which I think is really important and look good on your CV. But yeah, if if you just want to know about it, then uh, by all means, live vicariously through me. As soon as I know what I'm allowed to share, I'll be sharing it. Some recent updates to the National Tutoring Program include school-led tutoring, which confusingly has the acronym SLT, which is also Senior Leadership Team, who are the head teacher and the assistant head and all that business. So having the same acronym for two different things, brilliant. Anyway, there's an additional £60 million which is being transferred to the school-led tutoring route for the current academic year, with each school receiving a 16% uplift in their final instalment payable by the end of this month. Um, or the beginning of May in Academy. So if you're a maintained school, you get it at the end of the month. If you're in Academy, you get it a couple of weeks later. Um, summer tuition has been suggested, giving schools the flexibility to deliver tuition in the summer holidays over July and August. Uh, the uplift funds are expected to accommodate the cost of this. And uh, it includes tuition offered by tuition partners and academic mentors. Pupil swapping, this is a new thing. So access rights to the individual tutoring package have been amended, meaning that teachers or tutors now have the flexibility to move a new pupil into an incomplete tutoring session to ensure the full 15 hours has been achieved so funding can be claimed. So if a pupil is absent or no longer requires the tuition, they can now be replaced with another pupil who could benefit from that targeted support and the school gets the full money, the full funding, that's the word I'm looking for. Which is nice, because, you know, not everybody needs everything, but some people need some things. I, I think that's a really nice thing. And um, from September 2022, so the next academic year, all schools will receive their tuition funding directly, and all tuition routes will have the same 60% subsidy rate. So schools currently engaged with tuition partners will be able to continue working with them, and schools with academic mentors can continue their employment into the 2022-23 academic year, or if they want to appoint new academic mentors, eligible schools can apply for one or recruit directly through the head teacher nominations. Now, if you want to be a national tutor, there is an application process. It's pretty straightforward. There is a tick box. I'm not kidding. There are about seven questions. Uh, they just want to know, do you have teaching qualifications? They don't even mind if you don't, actually. As long as you have relevant GCSEs and A-levels, they're pretty okay with it. The pay, I mean... <laughs> They're going to pay you between 19000 and 21000 pounds, depending on what school you go to and your experience and the amount of time you can commit to. 
you don't even have to have been a teacher. I think I kind of said that already. You do need at least three grade C or higher A levels, and you need to have worked within an educational setting for at least six months. But you don't need to be a qualified teacher. The expected group size for you to teach is three. They want it to be one to three, but this is a government recommendation and that doesn't always happen. They do expect you to agree to a full-time contract and be willing to commute for up to 30 minutes. So it is, it's a full-time job, basically. A classroom of three, probably six. I'd, I'd be very surprised if you only got three kids. Like I said, 19 to 21 thousand pounds if you're looking for a teaching position still and you haven't found one it might be a good way to get a lot of experience with different children and a lot of different ways to uh, manage behavior in different behavior settings i've not found any information yet on whether it will count towards qts experience but i've reached out to the national tutoring program people and as soon as i know i will let you know because yeah if you've if you've not been lucky enough to find a job yet and it is luck please don't if you're still looking it's not you it is just luck Okay, so bear that in mind. But this might be something to look into. Okay, let's talk about climate change and sustainability because there is a new strategy from the Department for Education. In fact, just last week, the Education Secretary launched a strategy that aims to empower pupils and those working in education to fight climate change, both inside and outside the classroom. Yes, start playing the music. And the strategy, there's several, I'm just going to list off the bullet points here because the strategy plans to provide support for schools in developing climate action plans, including the provision of training so that every state-funded school has a designated sustainability lead by 2025. Remember that date because it will be important later on. They plan to share good practice from schools who have incorporated sustainability and climate change into teaching across the curriculum. They want to develop a primary science model curriculum with an emphasis on nature, introduce a new GCSE in natural history, include climate change and sustainability in science teachers' CPD, develop a national nature park to help children and young people get more involved in the natural world, as well as providing teachers with free climate education resources through the National Park's virtual hub. And they want to introduce a Climate Leaders Award to celebrate the work of children and young people who are protecting their local environment and developing their sustainability skills and knowledge. Yes, with your powers combined, we can all be Captain Planet. But at the moment, these are only plans. And I had a look through the policy paper, and there were a lot of long-term promises and pledges, and an awful lot of repetition of young people's concerns and enthusiasm about climate change, but there was very little actual commitment. There's the promise that from this year, I assume September this year, climate change and sustainability will be included in teacher training, but only for science teachers, and only as part of continuing professional development, not as part of initial teacher training. That's primary school now because we don't have separate, unless they're going to give like science coordinators that CPD opportunity, but that's not explicitly mentioned in the policy. There's also a lot of talk about promoting and considering various schemes, but again, very little affirmative action. And it's not until 2023 that the DfE plans to develop a primary science model curriculum to emphasize that nature thing, but that's develop, not implement. And there isn't, I mean, the general election is slated, the next general election in the UK is slated for 2025. I said that date would be important. Now, that says that this current government should still be in power in 2023 to start developing that model, but their promise of this designated sustainability lead by 2025, it might not be their problem. They might not be here in 2025. So it's one of those policies, a bit like the white paper and a bit like the green paper, they can make 
all of these promises, long-term goals and long-term aims are catnip to these politicians because if they're long enough term, it doesn't matter. They won't have to see them through, potentially. So we will see. I mean, and the current education secretary might not be the education secretary by next year. So this promise of 2023 is, it's lip service. You cannot, I don't know, it's, it's a, what's what Mary Poppins call it? A wicker basket promise, easily made, easily broken. I don't think wicker baskets are very easily made, but I'm not Mary Poppins. Anyway, there's that. There's a government policy on sustainability and climate change. Is it chasing the current bandwagon? Yes. Is it at least a step in the right direction? Yes. Shall we move on to the next point? Probably. The next update point is that free period products are to be available to schools and colleges. Now, as far as I'm aware, this was always the case, but now is the time to order them if you're a, if you're a school. You can order them online for the summer term from the supplier PHS. There you go. Up until the 8th of July. So there is a cutoff point and then the scheme will recommence in September 2022. So if you're running low on supplies, you need to order them now. They're available for girls, non-binary and transgender learners who have periods and they accept, the government accept that they all need to access the scheme and any language communications and the ways in which the products are made available to learners should reflect this. So that there isn't a, there's no gender bias here. There's no concern over, no, are you actually biologically a female? If you need it, you are allowed to have it, which is nice. Now, the, the DfE did some research into why some children decide not to request period products in school and discovered, this will shock you, make sure you're sitting down, they discovered that asking a member of staff, for uh, children, asking members of staff for period products was embarrassing. And in some cases, learners would rather go without products than ask for them. Isn't that shocking? Who'd have thought that teenagers in need of period products might feel a little uncomfortable asking a teacher for them? In some cases, a male teacher but let's be fair, at least they did the research and now they have evidence to back up their recommendations of appointing a student representative rather than a member of staff, or better yet, having posters or stickers on the backs of toilet doors directing learners to where they can access these products so they don't have to ask anyone at all. Um, having said this, the stigma and embarrassment around periods uh, should not still exist and the cycle does need to be broken. So schools are also being encouraged to address this issue through education and making sure that it's it's not an embarrassing thing and it's it's just a case of yeah I, I need this so i'm gonna go get it and that's exactly as it should be and the products have to be available to all learners in schools and in 16 to 19 organizations which are colleges and things like that yeah oh and the uh the yes so with all of this in mind sorry i'm looking at my notes here with all of this in mind i thought i'd take a look at what was available because when i was at school and yes i didn't need any of these things but i had friends who did when i was at school it was just tampons and pads but now there are more options. You can now, schools can order um, reusable pads, again, hitting that sustainability, and menstrual cups, which is fantastic, not only for the sustainability, but also just to have that choice. Because if you're in that situation, I think having a bit of choice just keeps you feeling human, surely. So that's a wonderful thing. Moving on, but staying within the realms of uh, saving money, the cheap school uniforms has made it to the update. Seemingly in a bid to aid families during the current cost of living crisis, the Department for Education have introduced a statutory guidance paper to keep school uniform costs down. They have said that parents should not have to think about the cost of a school uniform when choosing which schools to apply for. Therefore, schools must ensure that uniform is affordable. Listeners overseas, 
many, many, many schools in England have a school uniform policy. It's it's just a thing. We'll talk about that in a minute, actually. Anyway, in considering the cost, schools will need to think about the total cost of school uniform, taking into account every item of clothing parents will need to provide while their child is at school. This includes PE kits, everything, absolutely everything. And schools should keep the use of branded items to a minimum. Now, this is interesting because a lot of secondary schools and academies and some primary schools insist on a branded polo shirt or a branded blazer or a branded tie. So let's talk about school uniforms. The Department for Education in England strongly encourages schools to have a uniform because they think it plays a key role in promoting the ethos of a school, providing a sense of belonging and identity and setting an appropriate tone for education. But if the uniform is too expensive, then it can place unreasonable burdens on families. Furthermore, if a distinction can be made between people who can afford it and people who can't afford it, this will reduce the benefits of that sense of belonging and identity, and it has the potential to negatively impact attendance, access, participation, and it can lead to bullying. So th- this whole drive of school uniform being affordable is so important. School governing boards, it has been written, should give high priority to considerations of cost for parents, and they should be able to demonstrate how best value for money has been achieved when developing or making changes to a uniform policy. And this also has to apply to PE kits. No pupil should be discouraged from participating in any aspect of school life because of additional uniform costs. I didn't know this was a government thing. They they get really specific. They say a blazer with a school logo embroidered onto it would all be classed as branded items, even trousers with a unique style. Or a, a lot of the schools around me at the moment The blazers have like a coloured trim to say which house you belong to. This is classed as branded, as a branded item. And if a school desperately feels that they absolutely must have this branding, then they should provide at the cheapest possible price a sew or iron-on alternative so that parents can go out and buy a reasonably priced blazer from a supermarket and just attach that branding themselves. And the school should be mindful of the cost implication for parents when they make requirements on what is deemed appropriate footwear, including footwear required for sport. Now, I know a lot of schools frown on trainers, even if they're like black trainers, they must be black school shoes, which I've never really understood because these children spend a lot of time on their feet. Perhaps this is the gateway to, do you know what, so long as you look neat and presentable. I, I think it's a great thing. And supporting the sustainability policy, the provision of secondhand uniforms, is encouraged and schools should ensure that arrangements are in place so that secondhand school uniforms are available for parents to get through secondhand uniform sales or swap shops. And they have to ensure that arrangements are in place so that those secondhand uniforms are advertised on the school's website or the Facebook group, maybe. That's probably more like it. If a school has a Facebook group, I reckon that's where it's going to be. So yeah, it's school uniforms, a much bigger subject than I thought it was going to be. And I wonder how this update on keeping the cost down is going to affect the inevitable summer term newspaper stories about boys wearing skirts because they're not allowed to wear shorts or the regular stories from tabloids about children being sent home for having the wrong kind of haircut yes i i think this needs a blog post or maybe a podcast episode all by itself uniform much more see this is why i love education because you pick something that you think is quite mundane you start digging and all of a sudden It's a massive thing. 
So yeah, we need to delve a little more, but not today. Today, we're going to close it off here. But before I go, I have some dates for you. The 18th of May is National Numeracy Day. And in the show notes, there are links to early years, primary and secondary activities you can participate in. Um, the 26th of May is Banker Teacher Day. And again, there's, there's a link to get involved there. And from the 2nd to the 5th of June is Her Majesty the Queen's Platinum Jubilee Celebrations. Now, this is great for us in England because we get a very long bank holiday. We get Thursday and Friday off. Two, three, four, five. Yeah, Thursday and Friday off, which is great. And the Queen is, is continuing to be the longest running English monarch, which is great. She's beaten Victoria, just completely smashed it out of the water. 70 years she's been Queen. 70 years. But if you are an overseas listener, I really recommend go to the show notes and click on the link for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebrations. It will take you to a website where you can do, you can download all sorts of things uh, from recipes to coloring activities to like join the dots. But if you're interested in learning about English culture or British culture, or you just, if I don't know if the American curriculum or the Australian curriculum has stuff about the British royal family as part of its history, or maybe it's, I don't know, other cultures. I should really look into it. But there's stuff there and it's free. And it'd be really interesting because it is, it's a major news event, let's face it. 70 years on the throne. Whether you're a monarchist or not, it's still, it's still a big news story. So there, there are, there are links in the show notes for that. And that, I believe, is it. That is all of the updates that the Department for Education in England has provided for us today for the month of May. Like I said, next week, look out for the podcast on how to lower your own costs because we've got to keep, we've got to keep the heating on and we've got to keep eating. So something's got to give. And I've got some ideas on what that could be. Lots of free stuff next week. Lots of free stuff. And look out for that YouTube video where I'll be reviewing those, um, education games and stuff. Okay. I think we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening. Mr. M's Musings, the podcast, was written and edited by Carl Hedley-Morris. The music is Busy City by Track Tribe. If you like what you've heard, please let me know by leaving a rating or dropping me a comment in Twitter. Similar content can be found at www.mrmsmusings.com and you can hire Mr. M to tutor your child or speak at your school. Head over to www.igniteeducation.co.uk or email info at igniteeducation.co.uk for more information. Thanks for listening and I will catch you next time.